Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, you guys stand up with me if you would. We're going to open up with prayer. We're talking, we're beginning our series, Wanted Uncommon Christianity is what we're beginning today. I'm very excited about this. You know, Jesus loves his kids, amen? Yeah, yeah, and we know in our life, we want our kids not to be ordinary. Matter of fact, you look at your kids and every one of you, especially your grandparents, my good, don't even get me started on that. But you think, man, I have the exceptional child. I have the most special, the most beautiful. And that's how we should feel, amen? That's called good parenting, right? Don't lie to yourself about their weaknesses, but we do want the best for them, and that's how God is for us. That doesn't mean we have all this stuff, but he wants us to go deeper into him, amen? He wants us to understand more about him, and to do that, we got to get a little uncommon. So let's pray, and I'll let you sit down. How's that sound? Father, we love you. We thank you, God. Keep your hand upon us today. Let us learn much as we sit in your presence, and everybody says... Amen, amen. Thank you guys for being here. Wave at your neighbor as you sit down. Guys, thank you so much for streaming with us today. You are a part of this. We love you so much, so much, so much. Thank you guys for being in the congregation this morning. So we're starting, like I said, this series called Wanted. Now, every one of us has seen those old Wanted posters, amen? You know what I'm talking about? I was watching the Sons of Katie Elder. Anybody watch that show? Please tell me you have. If you haven't, I don't know if you're American. No, I'm just kidding. Go, go watch a little John Wayne. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for you. But I was watching the sons of Katie Elder, and sure enough, they walk in the sheriff's office, and guess what's posted all over that sheriff's office? It is these um, wanted signs. Now, we understand that to, to get on a wanted sign back in the day, you were not a common criminal, amen? You had to do something that was uncommon, all right? The everyday criminals didn't get on those posters. Uh, I was uh, in that uh, show, uh, the movie Katie uh, the sons of Katie Elder, one of those uh, props was posted on there, and it was a guy with a cigar. And it was later, as I did a little bit of research, I found out that oh, that same poster was actually uh, shown in um, El Dorado about two years later. So they just moved the prop from one thing else. But when you're John Wayne, you can use the same props because people are going to watch. But I thought it was interesting. But in every Western show, and you, uh, we see one of those posters, and you might have even been in some of that, right? You go to those photo booths, and you stick your head through the circle, right? We'll have some of those out here next week. Maybe you got dressed up. And like you're in the Wild West and you had the guns. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, we did that type of stuff. But uh, those posters were very famous in the Wild West days. And we know when paper's on a shortage and ink isn't as abundant. To get your face on one of those, you had to do some uncommon things. Well, we believe here at Ray of Hope that our people, we want you to be uncommon, amen? We don't want this Christianity to be common. No, no, Jesus Christ died on a cross for us, right? That's how much he loved us, and we talked about that last week. I won't go there, but we're talking about uncommon Christianity and some things that we want to find out that we can fill our life with together, that uh, we could be that uncommon Christian that God has called us to be. Because we're not only supposed to be readers, but we're supposed to be doers, amen? We're not supposed to just be uh, hearers only, but we're all supposed to seek. We're not supposed to only engage our community, but we're also supposed to live in it too, right? We want to go out there and be amongst the people. But to be that, you have to be a little uncommon. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Very familiar scripture here. Jesus' words here. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open to you. Now, what is Christ asking us to do here? He's asking us to be a little uncommon. 
The common person just asks, and if they don't get their answer, maybe they quit. Maybe they try to find something. If they don't find it, they move on to the next one, right? And certainly knock. Oh, my goodness, you actually have to approach a door and knock, right? Some people really don't want to do that. But here Christ is saying, listen, what I've called you for, you've got to ask, you've got to seek, and you've got to knock, amen? That means we're going to have to do some stuff that's uncommon. We're going to have to go a little bit deeper and a little bit further. Now, we want to make sure that we understand what seekers are. I know that there is a seeker-sensitive movement, and I certainly don't want to deplenish that or anything like that. However, I know that a true seeker is one who is saved. Before then, you're just trying to kind of gather information. Because as Christ was writing this, he says, you will seek me and you will find me. So to be a seeker, we've got to find Jesus Christ. Now, as he is pinning these words, I understand that there has to be something pre-salvation that happens. As we ask, what are we looking for? What are we asking about? Well, Romans 10 and 1 says, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we can all agree with that. We know that that's true. What are we asking for? We're asking for Christ to come into our life. But what are we seeking? Well, as we ask and Christ comes into our life and we seek, I think Ezekiel 36 and 26 gives us a great example, really the roadmap to it. And it says, I will give you a new heart and I will put in you a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey the regulations. Well, that's certainly what Christ does. He puts his spirit inside of us and puts his hearts and his desires. Amen, we can agree with that too. So that's what we're seeking, God. As I move into Christianity, as I move with you, I'm seeking that heart. I want more and more of that heart every day. I want more and more of your spirit. Paul really puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, very familiar verse. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new has begun. So what are we knocking for? So we know what we're asking for. We're asking Christ to come into our life and we know that we're seeking the new life. But what are we knocking? Well, I think Hebrews 4 and 16 gives us a clue. The writer says, therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that, we may have re- so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Well, I know if I'm going to knock on a door, what do I have to do? I have to approach it. I actually, I actually have to go up to the porch or wherever that door is located and reach up and knock on the door. And that's what Christ is saying here. As you seek, as you knock, we're going to the throne of grace and saying, God, I need your grace and I need your mercy. You're leading me here on a journey that I absolutely want to be a part of, but unfortunately I'm not equipped, right? Because he equips us as we go. And that's wonderful. Now we have everything we need in the word, but we've got to ingest that word, amen? We've got to let it flood our lives and rely on the Holy Spirit to show us what to do. But after salvation, really we try to make it complex sometimes and we don't have to. The recipe really stays the same, amen? Christ always still wants to be sought out and you will find him and he still will reveal himself, amen? It's a continued revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no one human that has all the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if they do, they are absolutely wrong. They are wrong, wrong, wrong. He's too infinite to know, amen? But we try. So what do we do? What are we asking? Well, sometimes as a Christian, I ask, God, save me from myself. Anybody else? Yeah, save me from my enemies. That's what David cried out. There's people all surrounding me. I've made a decision to follow you, and people don't like it. Then I also believe sometimes we can say, Lord, would you save me from the culture? What do you mean by that, Matt? Do you, are you upset or angry at people? Well, sometimes I get righteous anger, I think, for some of the silly things. Absolutely, and some of the unbiblical, ungodly things. Absolutely. But also, I don't want culture to influence me. I want to influence culture. What I don't want is culture to begin to rise up and tell me things are right 
and then I tune an ear to that and begin to do those things. Nope, don't want to do it. God, save me from my culture. You have wisdom, and I don't have as much wisdom as you, so reveal it to me. Well, what am I seeking? Well, I'm still seeking as we walk, amen, the life of Christ. God, it's a new journey every day. Today, you've given me breath, and you don't have for me what you had for me yesterday. You have something new. There's new lives to be touched. There's new things to accomplish. There's new mountains to climb, amen? So I want to seek that life. Then what do you knock? Well, God is going to do that. He's going to push us towards those areas of adventure, we have a choice either we change or we stay but what do we have to do if we don't want to stay and we want to change and we want to go forward we have to approach the door and what knock it's not just enough to recognize it's a door but what do you mean by knock well I reach up and I knock and say God is this the door that you have open for me because every door that opens in our life is not from God it's just not we want it to be sometimes and, and we're looking at it and saying man this would be really really great but it doesn't mean it's from God so why do we knock? Well, a lot of times I knock, Pastor, because I want to see who's on the other side. <laughs> God, give me the wisdom to see what's on the other side. So we ask, we seek, and we knock. It's uncommon, but we have to do that. It's not just enough to do what we think. And today we're going to study a little bit about Peter. I really feel like Peter embodies these concepts. Here, Peter was one of the original 12 disciples. Many of you are familiar with that. He was a fisherman by trade. Um, we know that Peter was married, so he was pretty adventurous, amen? Yeah, marriage is an adventure, so him being brave enough to do that, you know, bless him, right? So it's great, great, but we knew he had to be adventurous. And this was one thing that was written about fishermen at the time from one of the uh, commentaries. It said that they were gruff and unkept, they were full of vigor and a vo boisterous temper. That sounds like Peter if you've ever studied him right he has a lot of vigor inside of him he's not really concerned about how he looks all the time I guess you could say and he's kind of gruff at times he wants it his way right away and God's like no we don't do it that way we do it my way and uh but but as we look at Peter it's an exciting story because we see that Christ takes his lives and takes his shortcomings and what we would perceive as failures and obstacles and God turns it around fine you're boisterous you're loud you can't keep your mouth shut I tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to let you preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached and thousands of people get saved that's exciting stuff but that's what the holy spirit can do in our lives that's what he can do we have to give it over to him but we have to be willing to say you know what god i know that you want me to be uncommon and i'm ready to be uncommon so let me step towards that and if you already are praise the lord you keep walking amen don't slow down you keep walking and asking god to make me uncommon because we already know we're separated amen we're separated but we want to go to that next level. It's been said a hundred times, and I'll say it again. New levels, new devils, right? So we got to go to that next level. we got to go to that next thing. Well, the first thing that I see about Peter is his fervor about Christianity. Oh, his enthusiasm, his, his eagerness, his enjoyment, his, his interest in Christianity. Think about it. He wanted to know God and know the things of God. He enjoyed walking around with Christ, and many times he was intense in what he did. That's very exciting news. It's that fervor that we should long for in our life with Christ. The negative is, have you guys, you guys know who Eeyore is, right? All right, I'll just stay here. You know, he's always looking for his tail. That's, that's bad. You know, he falls off or whatever, you know. <laughs> that's kind of weird, but I made millions of dollars off of it. But, but, but to describe him as negative and gloomy, depressed, and an inability to feel uh, pleasure. I know some Christians like that, and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to be around them, 
I'm just going to be honest with you. And I don't want to be that type of Christian. I want to be like Peter when people are around, man. I'm stirred up because I'm around that person. I feel energized and better. Pastor and I were talking about this week to a young couple. Whenever you come here, we want you to say, I'm glad that I came to the house of the Lord today. Amen? But that's the kind of life that Peter had. Peter had a fervency about him, and he didn't apologize for it. The Lord, Now, he did repent many times, but he didn't apologize. In our world today, we feel so much pressure from our culture to say the way that we were made is not good enough. And, it, and we know the fight with sexuality and ethnicity and all that other stuff. But also our emotions, too. Peter was an emotional cat, man. Wept bitterly and sought the face of God and... Went to him, went, went with God. I mean, he was emotion. God made us with those. And it's okay the way that God made us. Now, I'm not saying that we should just go willy-nilly. Is that even a word? I don't know. We shouldn't do that, though. We should keep it arrested to a certain degree and say, God, I'm going to use these for your kingdom, for your glory. At the right time, you will release them, and they will have the most production. Amen? But Peter didn't apologize, and we shouldn't either. God made us. He made, he made you with that fervent spirit in your life to really care about the things of the world, that you get angry sometimes, or we should always get angry, righteous anger when people take the Bible and they begin to twist it and make it say what they want to say and not what God says. That's not. That, that, that should stir us up, and it stirred Peter up. That fervency is a great thing, and we see that in Peter. Well, why is that? fervency so important well I think for one thing that fervency helps us in our expression towards Christ that enthusiasm that love helps us with our expression towards Christ see we were made to worship Christ we were made to worship God we were made to express ourselves and I know that some people express themselves down here oh Lord you know and some of us here is like ah! you know I mean there's different levels okay that's alright we're all trying to get there and one's not better than the other because we know it's the posture of the heart but we were made for expression we were made to give to God right out of praise and worship we were made to sow in our time and our energy that's what we were made for the ESV in Psalms 113, 1-3, it uses words like this, praise the Lord, or statements like this, praise the Lord. And verse 2, it says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Then verse 3, it says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, in the name of the Lord shall be praised. Now, I went to the ESV because I wanted us to understand what the writer is talking about, the, how we should want to praise the Lord from the rising of the sun to the setting, that his name is to be blessed. I like how the message puts it. Right out of the gate, the message puts it like this. Hallelujah. How many of you guys ever got out of bed and just said hallelujah? Amen? It reminds me of that old song, hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that. But that's okay because it's that vigor, it's that energy inside of us that we have this real thing called Jesus Christ and he is not a dead God. He is not just a God of the past, but he's a God of the present and future and he lives within us, amen? And that's exciting. That makes my feet hit the floor and stand up and say, God, hallelujah, I'm saved. I know that it's difficult and I know that it's tough. We all have our different fights, but it'll go much greater if we say that. Our hearts are postured towards God. Hallelujah. You who serve God and praise God, just to speak his name is praise. Just to remember God is a blessing now and tomorrow and always. From the east to the west, from the dawn to dusk, keep lifting all your praises to God. Oh, yeah. I think Peter understood that. understood what the psalmist was writing here. That there's this fervency, there's this interest, there's this desire to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Well, as we look at him, we know that Peter had one way of really expressing himself. It seemed like his mouth always got him in trouble, you know what I mean? Just could not, always spoke at the wrong time. One of the, my favorite stories here is in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is chosen along with Peter and James to go up to the mountain. God, Jesus is going up there to pray, and while he's up there, his clothes became like light or white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountain, and they were all talking together. And it's interesting in the context there, it says, or in the text, it says that Peter answers. But as I read the text, I remember nobody asked a question. <laughs> Peter just opens up his mouth. And he begins to talk. And it says, while he was speaking, a voice came from God came booming out of heaven. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased hear him. So we see that, that really he's overwhelmed by the situation. He's full of love and gratefulness and he just has to express himself. And what does he say? Maybe we can make three tabernacles. That's what we need to do. In the midst of his ideal, in the midst of the chaos, God booms from heaven and says, no, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. What was he doing? He's bringing that focus back to Jesus. He was saying, listen, this is what it's all about. It's not about necessarily the experience. Oh, that helps us. But it's also about keeping our focus on Christ. We see Peter in the garden later after Jesus, or Jesus is betrayed by Judas and Jesus is going to be arrested. It's a very familiar story. And they said they lay hands on Jesus and what did Peter do? Peter pulled out his sword and cut off Malchus's ear. And Christ says, hey, we don't do things like that. That's not what we're here to do. And Jesus healed Malchus on the spot. And what did Peter do in all those situations? Well, Peter got his focus off of Christ. He got his concern on the situation around him, the fear that might have been creeping up, the, 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 the inability to understand what was going on. I mean, God had spoken this to before, before to him, but he just didn't really understand it. Have you ever had God some, speak something to you in your spirit, but it was like a month or two later before you really understood what he was saying? Well, we've got to guard those, those words, but we've got to make sure that we don't just let our expression of love towards Christ overtake us, and that's what happened to Peter. But it was because of that fervency in his love. And Christ said, no, we can't do that. But whenever he, he got his eyes back on Christ, whenever he got his focus back in, we know that later on he became extremely, extremely influential in the church. And whenever we get in sync with what Christ is telling us to do and we shut out those things around us, Christ is trying to do something in our lives. And we have to say, God, I don't want, I, I, we're, we're fervent and we want to express, but God, maybe I need to be silent for a second and let you speak to me. And the International Blind Swimmers Association and the Paralympics, they have what you call a tapper. Now, a tapper is kind of like a coach. A tapper stands on the edge of the pool, and as the individual that is blind is swimming down to it, they obviously can't see the wall. So what they do is a tapper has some sort of stick. Now, the, the tapper depends on the person in the pool, what they're comfortable with. I've seen it described as maybe one of those walking canes that fold out with a tennis ball on it that they tap, and they'll tap on the head or they'll tap on the shoulder. Sometimes it's a long cane that reaches out 10 or 15 feet, and they'll tap. And the point is, whenever that swimmer feels that tap, they know the wall is approaching. And if that tapper can stay synchronized with that swimmer and just focus on that swimmer, that tap, what it does, it allows that transition that will happen at the wall to be the most natural transition that you've ever seen. 
but the tapper has to stay focused on what that swimmer is doing. One of the blind swimmers were asked, well, how do you stay in the lane? He goes, easy, practice, practice, practice. I thought, well, that's good information. If you want to stay in your lane, practice, 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 right? But he said he would practice and practice, but those tappers, they had to be in sync. And depending on the swimmer, if they tapped them too early or too late, they could have a crash with a wall because they're swimming at high rates. They're every bit an Olympic champion, amen? They just have the blindness or something like that. And that tapper will reach down. But whenever he taps and he's synchronized with that swimmer exactly, then that transition will happen, and it'll happen as well as anything you've ever seen. And I was thinking, God, help me be a tapper. Help me be so focused on what you're trying to do. Help me be so so synchronized in what you're trying to accomplish in my life that I don't get caught up in the moment all the time, but I get caught up in what you're trying to say. I think it was the same thing that God was saying on the Mount of Transfiguration. Hear him. I've got to cut out that noise. I've got to turn off some stuff. I've got to let some stuff go so I can what? Hear him. Because if I become synchronized with Jesus in my life, he's going to take my inabilities that, I, that, that hold me back. He's going to take some things in my life that people don't see how I can overcome. And he can work that to my good. And I can be in sync with him and things can be accomplished in our lives. And people are standing back saying, how did that happen? Well, because we're synchronized with Christ. We care about what he's doing. And we're not letting our emotions win every time. Now, emotion is good, and that expression of love is good. But we want to make sure that we're in sync with what God is trying to do. With that fervency for Christ, it also will cause us to take take risk. Risks are good. Now, there's a difference between uh, a good, a calculated risk and a risk that's not calculated, amen? There's a difference between, hey, I'm going to throw money at this because I think it's going to work. No, that's called a reckless risk. We don't want any reckless risk, okay? Remember, even the Bible teaches this, count the, count the, count the cost before you build the tower, okay? That's what it's saying there, okay? And here, Peter, his fervency for the Lord led him to take risk. Remember, he left his fishing business. He traveled with Jesus. He was away from his family. We know that he was married and he had a family, Now, it's very important for us to realize that he did not abandon his family. There has been some world religions that have been set on people abandoning their family to go find enlightenment. That is not biblical, that is not Jesus, and that is not godly, amen? Peter did not do that. But he did say, you know what, I'm going to have to say no to some things so I can say yes to some things with Christ. And he had to take a risk. He had to put himself out there. He had to constantly be in situations that he was unfamiliar with and situations that would test his endurance and his emotions. I mean, remember, Christ said, listen, you're going to go from a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. But that fervency in your heart is a good thing. It's a good thing because it'll cause us to take risk. It'll cause us to do some things for God that we normally wouldn't do. As I was looking at this topic, I found two things that seemed to pop up of why people don't take risk. And the first one is we just simply don't think we're good enough. And we've all been there where maybe we're approaching something and we just don't know whether we're good enough to be able to do it or not. The second reason is we don't think we'll be loved in the same way or maybe loved enough or at all. And it keeps us from taking some of those risks. It keeps us from, from really going past what Christ has told us to do or going into what Christ has told us to do. Now, I want to reference last week's sermon just for a bit here. If you feel that way, hey, it, people feel that way. But go back and listen to last week's sermon because Pastor did a great job, amen, of clearing that up, that we are loved and God has a plan for our life and no matter where we go, we are loved enough by him, amen. We are not alone. 
But we have to choose between a reasonable risk and a reckless risk. Which one is God telling us to take? Because if we choose a reckless risk, then we're putting ourselves as God. Now, if we choose a reasonable risk, now let me explain this a little bit. I understand that faith in itself is some sort of recklessness, but even God had strategy. Whenever he called the 12 disciples, he knew who he was calling, amen? He had strategy. He didn't just fling himself out there and say, let's go do this. He left some margin of error in. He said, listen, what, we're, what, what he brought Peter from, he said, I'm gonna make you a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. What was he doing? He was, tra- he was taking that translation and putting him in a place where he could succeed. And it was already an extension of what he did well. But if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to allow that fervency to grow and take a risk, then I think we'll experience some passion. Think about this. Peter, as he's walking back down the mountain with Jesus after what he just experienced, he walks up there and clo- Jesus' clothes turns to white. He's talking to Elijah and Moses, the booming, voice, uh, the booming voice from heaven. Then he falls flat on the ground. Then Jesus comes up and says, Arise, do not be fear. Can you imagine the journey back down the hill processing all of that? The closest thing that I could think of is it's like whenever you're in the front seat of a roller coaster, you're really scared to go on. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't know whether you want to go on it or not. You get on that roller coaster, you're like, ah, ooh, ah, you know, and you're screaming, maybe black out, your nose starts bleeding, who knows what all happens. But then you get off, and what's the very next thing you say? Let's do it again, right? Peter was like that. Peter got to experience those times with God because he took a risk. He got to walk away and say, man, I want to do that again. I know that's, you know, Matt's interpretation. Nowhere in the Bible does, you know, Peter say, let's do it again, you know. But you know he had some of these experiences that he was working with, and that's what happens whenever we're willing to take a risk and rely on that fervency. Well, we begin to stand out, and we begin begin to gain knowledge that we didn't have before. It'll even help us pursue excellence because we'll begin to get on new turf and say, okay, this is how we do it. This is how we make it better and better. And it'll help us not be afraid of failure. Failure stops us from so many things, and many times the fear of failure, amen? We, uh, we have this school back here in the back. It's our off-site campus, and it's so much fun. One of the things that we do for activities is, of course, I like to ride bicycles, so we help some of the kids, and we ride bicycles. And there's this one little girl. Her name is Callie. Callie Windsor. She's uh, Bobby and Frida uh, Ramirez's grandchild. When I was telling this in first service, Bobby Ramirez is back there just grinning ear to ear, right? It's true what I said about grandparents. Oh, man, this is the greatest thing, you know? Really, it poops and eats a lot. I don't know. So, <laughs> but, but it's yours, but it's yours, right? But, but, but Callie did such a great job when she first showed up and we had a bike. She was really nervous about riding the bike. She'd kind of had some bad experiences. So we threw a couple of training wheels and we just encouraged her and said, hey, you can do this. So she rode around a couple laps I'm not lying in my team but this actually happened she rode around a couple laps and got kind of used to it and built up her self-esteem and then we took those wheels and we flipped them up and she didn't need them now we we've taken the wheels off of the bike and she's just riding the bike around the church parking lot and I'll ride it beside her and where she was fearful and scared before she's talking to me and visited with me about cat scratching her and whatever little girls talk about you know I'm just nodding I don't know everything she's talking about but I'm having fun why because she she left the fear of failure she had some success and whenever we take a risk and we get out and we see that God has our back we become like little Callie and we say I never want to go back and that's exciting news and that's what God wants us but that's uncommon because commonality is to get comfortable to get relaxed to love where we're at Peter wasn't like that another thing that I see here is that Peter had an experience he had a spirit of repentance now this is very important in our church today sometimes we can get 
repentance mixed up with some things and we can think well maybe if I feel bad that's repentance no that's not repentance that's not biblical repentance or maybe if I if I tolerate or accept some stuff that's kind of like repentance right no accepting and tolerating is not repentance I think Ezekiel does a great job of explaining what repentance is. And as the prophet Ezekiel is talking to the people of Israel in in chapter 14 and verse 6, he says this, repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. He goes on and he speaks again in chapter 18, verse 30. He says, repent and turn from your sins. Do not let them destroy you. Then Ezekiel 30 and 11, he says, Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Now, if we relate that to the New Testament, we understand that the thief in John 10 comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. And what does Ezekiel lay out for us? Well, if we're worshiping an idol, then we're allowing Christ's um, Christ praise to be stolen. And Christ cannot bless people who are not worshiping him and honoring him and following him. And then he goes on in that next verse, he says, and let them destroy you. Well, we know the thief comes to destroy. And then that final verse, it says, why should you die? Well, sin kills, steals, and destroys. So I've got to turn from sin. I've got to turn from that. That's what the prophet is saying here. Turn, turn. I've got to do a 180. What I was doing, I'm no longer doing. Because sin has a way of sneaking up on you and humanizing itself. I had a dream the other night, and I'm usually not a dreamer, but at this, this point I was, and I dreamed that I was talking with a rodent. Now, follow me here. I know it's getting freaky here, okay? We're not about to start a new religion, okay? We're not about to turn into a cult. People, we're not. Streamers, we love you. We're not, we're not. But I was, ta- I was having a conversation with this rodent, and what I thought was a possum is what is my best interpretation of it, and those dudes are nasty, right? So I'm talking to this possum and I walk into what I think is a house or a complex of some kind. I believe it's a house. And I'm talking to this rodent, just carrying on a conversation. I don't even know what I was talking about. I was just talking to it like it was normal. Well, what do you want to do with a rodent? You want to get it out of your house, right? So naturally, I begin to say, okay, it's time to leave. And I tried to escort nicely to the door and put the rodent outside. And what I found out is that rodent came right back in immediately. So in the dream, I took a blanket or some kind of covering and I threw it over the rodent. Well, the rodent was upset. Have you guys ever tried to catch like a mean cat or a mean dog in a blanket? Yeah, kind of the same thing, you know. And I picked it up and threw it out the door, and it was, you know, upset at me. Well, I threw it out the door. Well, as soon as it hit the ground, I went and secured my house. But then I noticed that there was about a six-inch hole in one of my doors, a gap. And that rodent got back in my house. This time when I went after that rodent, I saw that that rodent had caused some destruction in my house. And there was a pitchfork or something to the side. I don't remember what it was. It was some kind of sharp object that I grabbed. And the only way that I could get rid of the rodent was to stab it and kill it. I had to kill the rodent to get it out of my house. So I did that and I carried it outside. And I woke up and God began to speak to me. He said, man, he said, Matt, that's like sin. Sin has a way of humanizing itself. If we take rodents, rodents are detestable and they're nasty. They're, they're infectious, Amen. And here I am having a conversation with that. Well, in our lives, if we're not careful, we have to fight sin because we will begin to entertain sin. And what is sin to God is detestable. It's infectious, it's gross, it's nasty. And he said, Matt, just like that, that rodent, you can't cover it up to get it out of your house. You've got to kill it. A great preacher said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. 
You've got to get it out. And then when I went back, it, the final thing that I believe that God revealed to me is this. Even whenever you encounter sin like that and you allow it into your house, you can kill it by the grace of God, but you've got to turn from it and repent. But there's still going to be a mess to clean up. There's still going to be a mess to clean up. But see, Peter here shows us this repentance. He shows us whenever he, 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 he denies Christ three times. A very famous story, he denies Christ three times. But then we see God restoring because he truly repented after he denied Christ three times before the crucifixion. It says that he went out and he wept bitterly. And the next scene that we see is that he's back with the disciples. He's back doing what he needs to be doing and not out feel sorry for himself. He's not walking in fear, but he's back with the disciples. Why? Because whenever we walk in that spirit of repentance, it causes me to go from me to we. What do you mean by that? Well, what did Christ tell him whenever he was on the shore? He said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He restored him and he brought him back to the we. Now, if you think about that for a second, he, had, he was so instrumental in setting up the church in Jerusalem there. Well, we know that new Christians are baby lambs, right? And what did he do? He loved them, he tended them, he cared for them. And then as those lambs grew into sheep, what happened? He began to pastor them. He began to love them and still teach them and let them grow, writing letters and being there and encouraging. Why? Because he did a 180, he turned. He went from just being concerned about himself to the group. And in our lives, sin is very selfish. And it can make us concentrate on ourselves. And God is saying, no, I didn't die for one, I died for all. Repentance will also help us become in a deeper place with Christ. See, Christ is wanting us to take, some, take us to some places that we can't go unless we're willing to let go of some things. And in letting go, it includes repenting. Whenever he was talking to, uh, to um, Peter, Peter said, I'll go with you anywhere. And this was the conversation where Christ was saying, no, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I'll go anywhere with you. And this is what Christ said to him. He said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterward. What does he mean by that? See, he wanted to take him to some deeper places in him, but until he got to that point of repentance, he couldn't take him there. He said, after you repent, after you deny me, because he said, I'm going to pray in faith that God will keep you, and he will. But see, whenever we have that true spirit of repentance and we truly turn from what we know is, un what we know is not godly, then it takes us to places in Christ that will be deeper and deeper. It's not because Christ doesn't want to take us, it's because we're not prepared we see Peter on the rooftop, and, and he's having an issue with being Jewish and going to a Gentile's house. In Acts chapter 10, verses 29, 28 and 29, it says, Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think like this anymore, pure or unclean, that I should no longer think of people as pure or unclean. So I came with no objection, as soon as I was sent for, now tell me what you sent me for. See, we see that true repentance show up in his life. We see him being concerned about the we over the me. We see that Christ is now taking him to a deeper spot. Well, what do you mean? Well, think, ratty-tat-tat on the door, they show up, and he says, I'll go with you. And then he gets there, and he goes, what am I here for? Who are you? And I believe that God sent me. That's a deep spot when you can do that, when you don't have to have everything laid out before you. You don't have to have all the instructions and the maps. You can just say, God, I believe you spoke to my heart, and I'm going to go. And that's where Peter was at, and that spirit of repentance helps us do that. 
And finally, I think that the spirit of repentance, one of the greatest things that it does, it gives us that assurance. We don't have to doubt our salvation. Man, when our heart is being tugged, when God is telling us, man, that's sin, you need to turn your back on that, we know that we are saved. Because the world doesn't want any part of that. Now, remember, Christ will speak to us and say, you have to turn from it. You have to let it go. You have to get away from it. You have to run to me. You can't tolerate it. If you guys ever heard that terminology, sin management, God ain't into sin management, right? He wants us to let go of it and get it out of our life. But that spirit of repentance will take us to a place in our Christianity that will provide a firm foundation for assurance. We're no longer questioning salvation. We're no longer doing that. And some of you guys can say amen because you know what I'm talking about, right? It's all about the fight. It's all about sticking those warrior clothes on and going towards what God has for us. God's a good God. He's a great father. And we know that he wants the best for his children. Just like you look at your children, your nephews, your nieces, your grandchildren and say, man, I want the best for them. I don't want them to just be conquerors. I want them to be more than conquerors. And the way that you say that is I don't want them just to accomplish what I accomplished. I want them to accomplish much, much more. Sounds like Jesus to me when he said, greater things than this you'll do. Why? Because he's a loving God and he cares about us. But we gotta walk in that spirit of repentance. We gotta be willing to take some risk. And we gotta say, God, I'm not gonna turn down the fervency. Oh, no, no. I'm gonna become white hot for you. And I'm gonna fall in love with you. Would you bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And hope changes everything.